Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. One of the things I have found in following Jesus is oftentimes if in life I have a reaction to something, God is, is usually trying to help pinpoint something in my life that maybe he wants to work on. And what I mean by that is, is my reaction often shows there's something in my life God needs to maybe adjust. And, and so I'm kind of highlighting that this year in particular because one of the things I have found is I've seen a lot of worry and anxiousness expressed as it relates to this year for lots of different reasons. And one of the things we find, especially in scripture, is Jesus very directly says, don't worry, don't be anxious. And then he shows us how to not be a worrier or an anxious person, that, that we as followers of Jesus are actually meant to live worry-free lives. And, and so then if we're not, then we have to then examine, be mature enough to say, well, God, why am I worried? Why am I anxious? And is it because I'm trying to secure my own life when in the end, I'm meant to live in your kingdom, which you secure. So what I want to get into today is, as we talk about, we annually always talk about, in some capacity, giving, uh, especially around this, this season of giving. That's definitely tied to the Christmas season. Because really what we find in Scripture is Jesus has a lot to say about resources and how we manage them. And there's a reason for that, and I want to explain why today. And, but what I want to leave with us today is we are meant to live worry-free lives. If you're anxious today, I pray that you walk out of here non-anxious <laughs> because we're, just, we're not meant to live that way. We're meant to be a shining example to others how we can live confidently, not according to our uh, own ability, but according to his, according to God's. God has the ability to secure our lives and so then we don't have a whole lot to be worried about. But we've got to make sure that we've got some things in place in our lives so that we can live that way. So let's, uh, as we continue our Better Together series, we're going to get into a, a message on Jesus and money to see what is God's plan. How can we put things in place so that we can live worry-free lives? God has a plan for us. So if you have your Bible, hey, I hope you've got God's word with you today. We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 6, taking a look at the words of Jesus and in uh, one of the passages where he talks to us about resources. I'm going to invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. We are in, in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, and we stand simply to highlight that these are God's words. I've said it before, but it's always worth mentioning again. You know, so many times somebody says, well, if God just would speak to me, I'd do it. So I've got this red letter edition of the Bible. That's Jesus speaking, the Son of God. See, he's speaking right now. And so he's got some things to say about our worried or anxious lives. So let's take a look at what he says. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not a more value than they? Hey, how valuable are you to God today? Isn't that awesome? The God who created the heavens, you are valuable to God. Every one of us this morning, whether you're in this room, in our overflow rooms, and in your living rooms, you are valuable today. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. We left off in our Better Together series with a message on Jesus and end times. We learn that as God's rule is being established on earth, some interesting things happen. Some of those things include false forms of worships being done away with, the enemy increasing lawless works, and many falling away from Jesus. But we also found, here's the good news, we also found there will be those who endure to the end and are saved. And I don't know about you, but I'd sure like to be a part of that group, right? <laughs> I want all of us. And let me say this, we all have that choice. So may we choose to be among the group that endures to the end. And so, so what I want to do the next uh, couple of weeks, really the next couple of months, is dive into topics of what we find in scripture, of things that we put into our lives to help us be among that group. Because apparently when you look at the passage we covered last week, it's easier to fall away than it is to remain faithful. So then if knowing that, then what I want to look at is, well, then what does it take? What things do I need to have in my life? And we already know some of those answers. Prayer, Bible reading, singing. You know, singing is really valuable. I came in here this morning for a sound check there's a little girl sitting on the front row. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's a book for me. Thank you for singing that song this morning. That's important. All of these, there's, so there's these things that we can put around. So I want to talk about each one. I want to spend a week on each one of those things. But what I want to look at today is Jesus and money. Because what we also find, money is a competing God in our lives. So if we want to endure to the end, we need to have a proper view of resources and, and what God intends to do with those resources. So endurance is tied to the stewardship of financial resources. It really is. And so that's why I want to put it here, because I do believe that those who endure to the end know how to handle the resources God gives us. Because if you're unaware, God gives you the resources you have. 
not Caterpillar, not Tate and Lyle, not Purdue. God gives it. He might use those organizations to, to be the people who, who disseminate or, or give you those resources, but God is the one behind it all. And, and so he, the question is, how do we use those things in such a way that God intends so that we have endurance to the end? That's what I'd like to work through today. And, and part of what we see is if we handle it that way, then we can actually live this worry-free life in God's kingdom. And so how do we do that? Well, let's pull out from our passage. We find that we can live worry-free lives by storing up treasures in heaven. We can live worry-free lives by storing up treasures in heaven. Uh, The context for our passage this morning is Jesus speaking to thousands of people in the Galilee region, thousands. And and this is the ongoing message of Jesus. It's, It's one in scripture we call the Sermon on the Mount, but really it's probably better the Sermons on the Mounts. What we find recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 were the ongoing messages of Jesus, that this is what he constantly preached. Like, he didn't create a new message every week. He was preaching the same thing every week. He was. Hoping people finally get it, you know? Like, great, you understood this one today, understand this part today. So he's preaching, so this is the context. And what he's doing is he's showing people how to live in the kingdom. And then Jesus, so in this context, Jesus encourages us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Treasures in heaven. But here's the problem. We live in a culture, and I'm talking about our, our American culture here, even probably Western culture, that constantly markets us into thinking we should be storing up treasures on earth. We really do. That's constantly the message that we're being bombarded with. And how do I know this? Because 80% of Americans live in debt. That's a lot of people in debt. Now, I know some of those might be tied to medical bills or school loans, and you know, those are sometimes of a different nature, but still, a lot of that's consumer-driven. So with that many people living in debt, that tells me we've been marketed well into believing we're meant to store up treasures on earth. We really have been. But what I'd like us to consider this morning is this phrase, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. I just sat in that that sentence because I started thinking, let me ask you, because I I sat in this for a while, so I'm kind of putting you on the spot. What do you think are God's treasures in heaven? People and the lamb who was slain. You want to know what the treasures of heaven are? Jesus and people. So now let's take this a step further. How do we store up those treasures? By actually being with people. By making people our priority, not possessions. Have you thought about that? It's interesting to me as you look at, even in this passage, Jesus is encouraging us to reorient our lives around the mission of God. In this passage, instead of living life focused on accumulating stuff, We spend our lives enjoying a personal relationship with Jesus. We abide with him. Why? Because he's our treasure. He is the treasure of heaven. So store up that treasure. So we abide with him and rescuing people, the treasures of heaven. Like we're meant to reorient our lives. So that's actually the instruction Jesus is giving us here. And it turns out we help to provide direction to our heart by choosing Jesus and people as our treasures over possessions. It's a choice. So what have you made your treasure? That maybe should be the title this morning. What's your treasure? 
What is it? Because Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart goes. So you, if once you choose your treasure, your heart follows. It's not really the other way around. So you've got to choose your treasure wisely. But I've had people tell me, well, I just really struggle loving other people. Well, God still loves you, right? He does. And it turns out the way that this changes, so let me say this. If you struggle in relationships with people, the way that changes is you start to look at the value that person has. And maybe not in your eyes, because that can be a struggle at first, but in God's eyes. I, I love this story, and honestly, I don't remember it right now, the details, except that there was this man who would go into the streets where people were left in drunken stupors, and he would pick them up, and with their alcoholic smelling breaths, say, you were meant to house the fullness of God. Like, do we treasure people like that? But if we can learn to treasure people like God treasures people, how much would our life change? How much would your priorities change? How much would what you're working for be different? So how can you do that? How can you start to enjoy people? Sometimes it's simple things like just inviting somebody over for dinner. Jump in a life group if you haven't done that yet so that you can enjoy life together with others. Give out Christmas cards to neighbors. Actually, Shelly and I have been really talking about this. Like, COVID is a problem for me because so much of the ministry of Jesus was around meals. I'm struggling right now. Amen. Amen. So, because it's, it's really hard for me to figure out because, like, our intention is, like, to give out Christmas goodies to neighbors with Christmas cards. But, like, I don't even know if we could do that this year. So I'm still trying to figure that out. So let me say, I don't know, the times we're in, but I will say this. People have got to be priority in their lives. We've got to make them a priority. Have lunch with work colleagues. Find ways to be with people. Because if we learn to treasure what God treasures, we will reorient the passions of our heart. And in so doing, we get to live in the mission of Jesus and we start storing up treasures in heaven. So let me ask that question. What treasures have you stored in heaven because of the people that you've invested in? Have you considered that? That's what's going to be there. Nothing else in this life will be, but people will be. So are you storing up those treasures in heaven because life is more than just trying to find the right house, get the right car, and, and land the right job? It's so much more than that. As we learn how to enjoy being with people, our priorities change and our life takes on a different meaning, takes on a different shape. So what could you do this week or this month to increase the time you spend with others? I'd like you to think about that. You know, maybe you're in the habit of eating lunch alone. Could you, could you join others? When was the last time you invited someone over to your home for, for dinner or a game night? You know, something. And are you in a life group? Are you serving with others on a team? You know, we've got people serving together with kids. So are you interacting with others on a regular basis? Learning to make people a priority is an important part of living in God's kingdom because people are God's heavenly treasures. I'd like you to think about that this morning. People are God's heavenly treasures. And we can live worry-free lives by storing up those treasures in heaven. And we can also find, as we look at our passage, we can live worry-free lives by allowing God to secure our lives. This is a big one this morning. It really is. This is really the key, that to live a worry-free life, we've got to allow God to secure our lives. He does the work. As I mentioned, Jesus, he talks a lot about money. He actually talks about money more than faith and prayer combined. That's a big deal. 11 of 40 of his parables were about money. But the question is, why? 
It's because money operates as a rival God that challenges our allegiance to King Jesus. Have you thought about that? Money is this rival God in our life that challenges our allegiance to King Jesus. Money invites us to worship ourselves if we use it to secure our lives, or at least to, to try to secure our lives, and as a source of something to bring comfort and happiness. But what Jesus points out in our passage is placing trust in earthly treasures. It's foolish. It won't bring true security because the things of this world, they're perishable. They can in a moment be gone. And then there's these curious verses about healthy eyes. Like, I really sat in these for a while. Here's what he says. The eye is the lamp of the body. It's almost like a riddle. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. Can't serve God in money. So the question is, what's Jesus talking about here? What Jesus is saying is, the heart is the true storehouse of treasure. Our hearts. Our hearts show what our treasure is. When the eye focuses on something of value, it becomes the conduit that fills the heart with what's focused on. So the question this morning is, where's your focus? Because that's what's going to become your treasure. If the eye is good, focusing on Jesus and people, heavenly treasures, it's the conduit that allows the heart to be filled with the light of God's treasures. But if a disciple's eyes are fixed on earthly treasure, as his or her value, personal significance, earthly security, the heart is full of darkness. So what you're looking at becomes your focus, becomes your treasure, and determines whether you've got light or darkness. That's what he's saying. You see, there's two masters of the heart, God and money. I think that's why Jesus talks so much about it. Two treasures, two eyes. But there, here's the thing. There can be no divided loyalties with God. God can't be God if you're only somewhat loyal to him. It doesn't work that way. If our minds are directed at the same time toward earthly, I was thinking like you become cross-eyed. Like you're looking down here, like it doesn't work, right? That's what happens. You become confused, distracted. And what happens is, is you've got this inner turmoil because darkness resides. It's impossible to be God's servants and the servants of money at the same time. You can't do both. Because desire for wealth and worry about daily needs, what happens is it actually supplants God. You know, and we might not think of worry as a form of idolatry, but it is when we allow it to take our eyes off Jesus. When worry becomes what we're looking at, because honestly, then your focus is, it's no longer looking at who Jesus is. It distracts us. We substitute despair hopelessness and fear in place of God and we turn to our own efforts to try to control our environment. That's what happens. All of a sudden, like we start to close in and we've seen some of this. We have. I think giving changes because when people start to try to control their environments, but the sad thing is that doesn't solve the problem. It actually makes it worse. It leads to more worry, which is why Jesus' reasoning, it culminates in this famous directive. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's really the whole point. Seek first God's kingdom. In other words, don't live with divided loyalties. Instead, treasure what God treasures, his son and his children, and work to store up those imperishable treasures. When we pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness and our daily priorities and activities, Jesus says we will have all of our needs met, 
by our ever-caring, ever-watching Heavenly Father. We have a good Father. He's ever-watching. He's ever-caring. Jesus says, all these things will be given to you as well. And I'll take care of that. But, you know, here's this question. Okay, great in theory, but what about in practice, right? Like, how does that happen? How does God wind up supplying for our needs as we make his kingdom our life priority? And here's what I have found. I found that God often does this in three ways. He'll do it through others, he'll do it through family, and he'll do it through work and investments. Those are three ways that God will supply needs. He'll use whatever conduit he needs to to make sure our needs are met. I actually asked Shelly if uh, she'd be willing to come and, and share. What I want to do this morning is just share a couple of stories. So Shelly and I will share, and then and Matt and Michelle Overman are going to come and share too. Because to talk about these things in theory is okay, but as you talk about those things in actuality, I think there's probably more meaning there. I'm going to probably grab you this microphone, if that's okay. Hey, can we welcome Shelly? <laughs> She's been helping in the kids' area. If you haven't seen her in here, the, the last couple of weeks, our daughter's class, like eight classes, got sent home on quarantine. Haley wasn't, wasn't ill, but Shelly got to enjoy and be a part of our online campus. Interesting times we're in, right? Every family gets to navigate it every week. It's, it's fun times. But what I, I thought would be helpful is we talk about just Shelly and I's own journey in this. And, and here's part of why this matters. Because I know in this room, in our overflow rooms, in our online campus, you may or may not have grown up in a home that has managed resources in a way that Scripture designs. And if you've done that, you know the blessings of that. But if you haven't, it can be hard and countercultural to adopt some of those patterns. You sit down with a financial planner and tell them, look, I've got 10, 15, 20% of dollars going out the door and not to my retirement account. They're going to look at you like you're crazy. But you're going to look at them to be like, but I'm telling you what, I'd rather God secure my life than I try. And, and so what I want to talk about is just how we've seen some of those things play out in our lives. And Shelly can talk about her childhood too. Um, and then I'm going to have Matt and Michelle do the same thing, just so you can hear some stories of how that gets played out. So however you feel led to, to share. Uh, so Zach had mentioned, um, you know, God can use people and work and, you know, different ways to provide. And for me, in my growing up years, my dad has always been a bivocational minister. And even at that, money was always tight. I mean, just always. And from like some of my earliest memories when he was pastoring, there was just a time where we ate a lot of pancakes. And that was fun for us, but it wasn't exactly my parents' ideal uh, meal plan, we'll say. And I remember one night being like really little. I mean, I was like four. And my brothers, of course, are older than me. And they had to sit down and just talk about what groceries would we like to have. And so we just talked about groceries. And, um, you know, we would really like this. We would really like this from the store. We would really like that. We would love this and that. And one of my brothers mentioned a box of oatmeal cream pies. And within that span of time, literally a knock at the door happens. And we open the door and two ladies, it's a mom and daughter from our church, showed up at the door and they have arms full of brown paper bags, full of groceries. And the mom mentions that, well, you know, I just heard the Lord say, pastor needs food. So I just told my daughter, take me now to the grocery store. We're just buying food for pastor. And they just came right in our house and they filled our table with brown bags of groceries. Hmm. And in the top of one of those bags was a box of oatmeal. <laughs> yes. Amen. 
What's up, milk cream pies? I think they got that. <laughs> I, I cannot tell you how many times my family found ourselves in a situation where there just wasn't enough money. But at the same time, I have amazing memories of my childhood being full of love and provision from the Lord. Where there were times when we didn't ask for things for Christmas, but when we woke up Christmas morning, there were presents under the tree. And not just like little things, like big things. And my mom and dad could tell you story after story about how God provided. And all I understood is that we trust Jesus. We trust Jesus. And, you know, could my parents have gone and, and gotten different jobs? Sure. But that meant they wouldn't be pastoring. And my dad didn't feel like that was a choice. Like God had called him to preach. And to this day, he still abides by that. He feels he should be preaching. And they live by faith. And they've modeled that for me, you know, going to college. How do I go to college? We don't have any money for that. But God provided for that. And all of my brothers and myself were able to go to college. They're, they're just time after time after time. I have so many stories of how God provided through people and allowed my parents to leave a legacy of trusting Jesus, being involved in ministry, even when it's not convenient or comfortable, but just trusting in the Lord. <clears throat> so hang out for a minute. <laughs> Because I was thinking about, so I'll talk a bit about uh, growing up, but then I want to talk about a bit of our own journey, you know, together as a married couple. Um, so I, as I shared, and we grew up in a home that we just didn't know any different, where we understood if you made 10 bucks, a dollar is going to go to the local church. Why? Because then God is secure in your life. You're not trying to secure your own. And, and, and that's what we would call a tithe, okay? So, and we, we usually say that's faithful giving. Um, and so I was thinking about, because I also grew up in a household where my parents didn't have any provision to help send me to college. So that was going to be on my own. And I knew it. And, and I think about how faithful God was to open the doors and provide opportunity for that. So I worked um, at, at, a, at a car wash. So every time I go through crude car wash, I think about my life work, growing, working at car washes. Um, and I would, especially in the Christmas, so this time of year was like, it was car wash season. Why? Nobody wants to wash their car in the driveway, but they'll bring it to me to do it, you know? All those teenagers out there needing a buck. So, but I remember how fat my pocket would be of tips because it used to be you would dry off the car, so it was a little bit different situation. And, but I remember then, so my offering envelope was always fat because you, know, you just take the ones out and stick them in there and, and donate it. But I think about the faithfulness of that and how God then opened the door. My first year in college was free. And even the next three as I went and transitioned to a, a school that would train us more for ministry, uh, how God provided scholarships, you know, so free dollars to help make that happen. But then above and beyond that, sometimes it's work too, you know, but provided a way for me to be a resident assistant. So I got free lodging. I worked in the, in the school food service. So I got free meals. Look, free lodging, free meal scholarships. That's God. It's going to work that kind of stuff out. Why? I really believe it's because I trusted God to secure my life. I wasn't trying to secure it on my own. And God over and over has done that for Shelly and I. So even though we, we graduated, we still had some school loans to pay off, you know, so God was great to make sure that those were, were not what they could have been. But we still weren't faithfully paying those back. And I'll tell you, the way that he provided for us was work. So sometimes God provides through job opportunities. Like we were both teaching, I was coaching, and then we go to Silver and Learning Center. We had no kids. So it's like, you can work all you want, right? 
Like, it's a different kind of life. I look back on that now, I'm not envious. Like, I don't want to go back to that part of my life. But at the same time, God provided work to provide for those things which we needed because um, God then made a way for us to go overseas where we had no debt. Like, we were done. And we were so thankful. And school loans were finished. Um, God made a way over and over, you know, through, through others, through family, um, through work. I was thinking too, and, and, that, and I also say, I say that in the context of sometimes we've made stupid financial decisions. Anybody else out there? That's all right. You don't have to raise your hand. It's just part of life, right? You just do that. So I actually was thinking about, so we, when we came back to the U.S. in 2015, we had left an apartment in Jerusalem. And like six months before we came here, like we had just really invested in, okay, we need a bed, we need mattresses. Like we just invested like furnishing that apartment. And I'll tell you, I wish we would have spent more time in prayer, like thinking about those financial decisions. And I talk about, and I think about that now, like, man, we make any financial decision. I've always been good to pray about it, but that's one where I feel like that was foolish. Why? Because we wound up here. And you want to know what happened with all of those furnishings? Like we just had to give them away. It was a loss, but at the same time, here's how God then provides. So Ikea furniture, that's what we had there. I have an issue with Ikea, but I'm not going to get into that right now. <laughs> I don't know how many hours I've spent building Ikea furniture. Like, that's, those are hours I will never get back. Okay, I have to interrupt. Okay, she always interrupt. I'm sorry. Okay, so in his mind, you know, he wants us to have prayed more and have done something different. But it was my teacher retirement account that I drained to buy the stuff that we needed because another family was coming. They had lived there before, and they had bought this particular furniture that we were now using when we arrived. So they're coming back, and I just started feeling like, you know what? If I was them, I'd probably want that back. So we should just let them have that. Let's bless them how we were blessed. I can, you know, use the funds that's in my teacher retirement account because when am I ever going to teach again in America, right? <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, let's just go ahead and use that. We're, we live here. This is our home. Let's get what we want. It'll be fun. Let's do it. So we did. We bought what we wanted and we had this just adorable IKEA apartment that he had to build and I got to enjoy it. But on the flip side, when we chose to come here, it was a real struggle for me personally because I felt like people thought we planned that. And that was often a question. Well, did you guys, like from our missions community, like did you guys plan that? Surely you knew you were leaving the field and you were going to live in America. And I was like, I tell you, I drained my teacher's account to buy furniture, to set up this perfect little apartment. I did not think I was moving to Indiana. I thought I was going to live in Jerusalem. I thought that's where we were going to be. And I really thought that that's where we were supposed <laughs> to set up our home. So for me, I'm glad we did it because it made me feel like we were all in. And that's the way we want to live. Wherever God has mm -hmm. us, we want to be all in. Mm -hmm. Whether it's easy or convenient, we want to be all in. And so to me, it's a testimony that my heart was in the right place. We were all in. Good. <laughs> Connected to that though, because we did. I mean, now I will say it was a blessing to then bless another couple that had no resources, and we just said, have an apartment, you know, and have those furnishings. But at the same time, how God provided on the flip side, because guess what? We live in a townhome, and we still have a furnished place to live, like today. So even though we left that behind, and, what, and I say that to say, God still provided. God still this. And actually, He provided better. Why? Because today I get to sit at a table with my kids that I grew up eating on because my parents gave it to us. 
How much more meaningful is that than that stupid IKEA table I had to put together? <laughs> right? So I, I say that to say, look, if you make God and his kingdom your priority, like he just works things out. And then you don't have to worry about it. And I can't always fully explain how that happens because he does it different ways. But I can tell you, he does it over and over. Thanks, Shelly, for sharing. I'm going to take the microphone. And I asked Matt and Michelle if they'd be willing to come and share a little bit as well. And I have to commend Matt. Like, I called him, what was it, Friday morning? He's in a tree stand and he takes my call. Like, that's a good guy, right? Woo! Telling you what, hats off to you, man. Yeah, don't get any ideas. I don't normally take calls in the deer stand. <laughs> That's all right. I wouldn't blame you. I wouldn't so, blame you. Well, I got uh, just three quick stories we'll, we'll share. And if Michelle kicks me, it's not, she's not being mean. That's the wife filter kicking in. <laughs> don't worry about it. So, you know, yeah, God is, he's incredible. Um, he has never, he's always been there. He's always been faithful. Um, we may not see where it's coming from. We may not see how it's going to happen or believe that it's going to happen necessarily sometimes, but he's always been there. Uh, first little story, we'd been married five years. Um, our first child, Jessica, had arrived. Um, we were selling our house. Uh, we had saved up enough money to, uh, to build a house. We had found a, bought a lot out in West Point, uh, some acres that we were going to set up our shop. I had this plan, you know, had it all mapped out. Um, You'd like to say I spent a lot of time in prayer on it, but maybe, uh, to be honest, I didn't. So probably, like within a month, uh, I made a pretty stupid business decision, and my heart was in the right place. I was helping out a, a friend who was in a similar business, and, and uh, so there went our nest egg. I, I spent it, you know, trying to put these two companies together. Um, and the same time, we thought, you know, that the house was sold. Uh, so we thought somebody was going to buy it. Um, and then just about the time we got close to the end of that, where it was supposed to close, uh, the person I was trying to go in business with backed out. And of course now our nest egg is gone. So we're like, great. And then we got a call saying, Hey, we think the financing's falling through. Your house isn't going to sell. And we're like, great. <laughs> Cause we have no place to, to really to, to go or to, you know, to build. Mm -hmm. So you know, we said, good, that's an answer to, you know, answer to prayer, which to be honest with you, I can't really say I was praying all that much about it. But a little backstory, kind of growing up, you know, our parents, both our parents modeled, you know, giving. Um, my mom said, tithe or 10% was a great place to start, but don't stop there. She's always instilled that enemy. My dad mm -hmm. uh, was generous to a fault almost. I mean, there was not a need he didn't want to try to meet. Um, sometimes maybe he shouldn't have, um, but it, that's a whole nother avenue. But uh, so, you know, we, we'd always tried to give where we, where we could, meaning that, you know, any of you that have a small business or have done that or built one, you, checks are not every two weeks. They're not every week. Sometimes you don't know when the next one's coming. So, um, you know, we always gave when we could. And then I always gave with my hands. Uh, I believe that's so important. I, you know, I've, I've cut a lot of grass and done a lot of stuff for free mm. as a gift back to God um, mm. my whole time I've been in business. So, so anyways, 
now we're going through the situation. So we think, okay, great. It's going to work out. Three days before we were originally supposed to close, our agent wasn't the best. Uh, she said, hey, the house is closing Friday. This was like on a Wednesday? I can't remember. It was a long time ago. So they said, uh, the house is going to close. The financing fell through. She goes, oh, no, they worked it out. You have to be out by Friday at midnight. You're closing Friday morning. I said, I got nowhere to go. Uh, we had no money. We were broke. Um, bless our in-laws' hearts. We'd lived with them two or three months before we moved into this house because it took that long to close on it. You know, you know, family's great, but they're not necessarily, you know, knocking on your door. Hey, come live with us. <laughs> so we were literally in, at, during this time also, our daughter was fighting John as uh, she wasn't eating. Um, she had actually lost weight and she was tiny to begin with. Um, so we were just kind of faced with the, uh, where we're going to go, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be the one that protects my family, provides for my family. And here I, f I failed. I completely failed. And so, you know, I, so we just, we prayed. Probably should have been doing a lot more praying before this. Um, and we said, you know, God, what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you, God provided through family. Um, you know, my in-laws took us back in, bless their heart, in five, six years. I think we lived almost a year with them. Um, that's tough because it's not like they had a big house. <laughs> so then, then my other family, everybody stands, you know, kind of just joined in and helped us. Uh, my brothers, I can't remember all, but they all joined in. We, we moved out. We were out by Friday at midnight because, like I said, we didn't know this till two, three days before we, the house was to close. We got our stuff where it could go. Um, thankfully, we had a place for our, our business that we still had that lot. Our mom, my mom and dad helped us with that. They eventually, you know, bought that lot to get it off our back. Uh, so God just miraculously provided, um, lived with the in-laws for a few months and then moved into a one bedroom duplex, which was a palace at that time. Hmm. You know, really thankful for what God did and provided. Hmm. So speed forward um, many, many more years, a few years in advance again. I'd like to say I learned my lesson then. I'd like to say I learned to rely on God and, and to just totally give him everything, but it, it takes a while when you're stubborn. So, um, you know, we were, again, in real financial strains. Again, we always tried to give, even through our own hands, just wherever we could. We've, we've always tried to do that. It's always been our hearts, and even in our need. But So we were, I think, this when we lived um, on the west side here, we were a few months behind on rent, didn't have a whole lot of food in the refrigerator, bills were not getting paid. And, you know, two things happened in that instance. Number one, who we were renting from was uh, uh, some, some folks we'd known for a really long time. And they said, don't worry about it. We know you're good for it. Don't worry. You pay us when you can. And then they actually allowed me to work through my own hand, you know, through my hands, the, the talents that God gave me to help some of that, up, pay some of that off. Then I was, had a lot of pride then. I didn't want to tell anybody. I didn't, you know, didn't want anybody to know how bad it was. Um, and then we got a knock on the door and uh, actually, you know, we were, you know, it was uh, Bethel at the time. There was one of the deacons standing at the door and I still remember who it was, but I won't mention that, but they were standing at the door. Somebody had said, Hey, the Overmans need a thousand dollars. Take it to them. Hmm. Never asked, never said anything. Hmm. So God is just absolutely incredible the way, and he's done this many times through our lives. 
And the last little thing I'll share is, you know, um, things have gotten, gotten better, praise the Lord. Still have some tough times here and there, but, you know, Michelle said just a, a couple of years ago, maybe a little bit longer, she goes, I, I just don't think we're being faithful enough. She goes, no matter what, we have to give, you know, because again, income's not always, you know, set when you own your own business. And so I said, okay, and we, we, you know, talked about it, prayed about it. And I just, God gave me some amounts and I love this automatic thing because you really don't miss it if it just disappears. <laughs> you know, it's a, oh, I forgot. You don't forget. The, the computer never forgets. So, and we just started, said, okay, God, every two weeks, this much is coming out. Every week, so much is going to this. And, you know, I'm not going to worry about it. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I need your provision. And it's always been there. Hmm. It's always been there. It's, I don't know what percentage it is. It's, it's, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the fact that we just trust the Lord. And I cannot tell you how many times mm -hmm. in our lives that he has been just miraculously provided for us, always been faithful. We've never been without, mm -hmm. you know, um, and we've been able to bless others, even in our times of need. Um, you know, I just, I wouldn't trade that for anything because what the lessons that God has taught us. Mm -hmm. so. Amen. 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 I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> so how does God supply? Because that's the question. You, you want to look at the practical. All these things will be given. And oftentimes it's, it's family, it's others, it's, it's work, it's investments. Um, God does it. He'll find the avenue by which to make it happen. It's, it's our job to be faithful unto him and his kingdom. But then the question is, how do we set up our resources so that God does that work? Because there is this context of, of how does God bless those resources? And what we find in the, in the last week, what Luau closed, is that we can live worry-free lives by following God's money plan. He does. He's got a plan. And as we follow it, then that's how we live these worry-free lives. Why? Because we're no longer trying to secure a life. We're trusting God to do it for us. We're just being faithful to the way that he says things should be laid out. So then the question is, how do we in Scripture see that money, wealth, and possessions are used? And what we find is there's three, three primary ways. The first is, is that we see that we're called to give an appropriate care for one's own family and prevent them from becoming a burden to others. That's actually the first thing we see. So let me take a look at a couple of Scriptures that point out to this. Paul, a follower of Jesus, he's writing to believers in a, in a town called Thessalonica, and here's what he tells them. He says, aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands, it's funny that, that Matt used that phrase, as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So there is this understanding with resources that, look, we should work and provide for our family. That's important. Paul later follows up in a second letter to the same church, and he says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you've received from us, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly 
and to earn their own living. So we have these passages of scriptures point out, look, one of the ways that we use possessions and, and resources is we've got to make sure to provide our own family. It's important we do that. Paul writing to his mentee Timothy, he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So that's the first thing. We find resources are used to help our own families. But then we also see the next thing. Second, we find in scripture, resources are used to help people in need. They're used to help people in need. Acts chapter 11. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the spirit there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So the first thing we see is, look, resources are given to help your family. The second thing is, is we have resources that are meant to go out of our hands to help others. Paul writes to church in Corinth and says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So look at their conditions, extremely joyful and extremely poor. Like, how did that work out, right? We think the opposite, but in God's kingdom, when people understand God secures our kingdom and that people are our prize, they were extremely joyful. Why? I think because this is a church that understood the value of everyone in that body. And he says, in extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, like supernatural giving out of this church, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. What an awesome church. We want to be a part of this, and we're going to give beyond our means because we know God will supply the lack. So two things. Number one, God gives us resources to bless our families. God gives us resources to bless those in need. And then the last thing we find in Scripture is that money, wealth, and possessions are used to encourage and support God's work in spreading the gospel of the kingdom at home and around the world. That's the th three ways that we see resources used. Here's a, a scripture, again, Paul writing to his mentee, Timothy. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labor deserves his wages. So Paul is talking to Timothy to say, look, there's benefits that should happen in the local church environment. Why? Because there's a local mission to be done, and we want people devoted to that. But then we also find those ministries taking far from home. In Philippians, Paul writes, he says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So Paul, traveling widely as a missionary, he's thanking the Philippian church. He says, the Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. So he's commending them for giving to gospel, kingdom, work, global work. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So there is also in this partnership we have as we give to those works that occur far from home, like we participate in the fruit of that. And we shared that a couple of weeks ago. I'm well supplied, having received from Aphrodite the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. And again, a sentence we know well in the church, but let's keep it in the context. Supplying our needs as we make his mission our priority. Does that make sense? In order to not live with a divided loyalty as it relates to our financial resources, it's important we take care of our family, we take care of those in needs, and we take care of the mission of the church locally and globally. Does that make sense? 
It's not real complicated, but you find that throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testaments. Following this plan shows you're confident in God's ability to secure your life. Because if you have been in the habit of trying to secure your own life, it's, it's probably, it's likely you've probably reduced giving. Why? Because you're trying to secure your life right now. But could I encourage you? Don't try to do that. It leads to worry and anxiousness. That is not God's plan for your life. Continue to trust God, even in pandemics. And let me say, Christian history shows Christians have been faithful to trust God through hard times, and God is faithful. God is faithful. So make sure that we're countercultural in the way that we handle our resources. So how are you doing? Working a job, taking care of your family. Is that a priority? I hope that it is. Are you helping people that in need that you know personally? Or through Kingdom Builders, as you participate in that, you're supporting what happens in the food pantry. Lafayette Urban Ministry, Trinity Mission, all of these we support every month through Kingdom Builders. Are you a part of that? Are you giving faithfully and consistently in the local church? You know, we talk about giving weekly, but are you a part of that? Are you a part? I, w- I would encourage you to be a part of that. Because the question comes down to who is your provider? Who's securing your life? Are you trying to do it? Are you trusting God to do it? Can I tell you? God is a good person to secure your life. You want him to secure your life. So manage your resources accordingly. And do that by taking care of your family, those in needs, and by participating in the mission of God. What I want to do, the music team's going to return. I, I just want to close with two stories, Luke 18 and 19. Two great examples that illustrate our potential responses to Jesus as it relates to money. Both stories about rich men. The first one in Luke 18 is a rich official who asked Jesus, how do I get eternal life? What is he asking? How can I secure my eternal life, right? And Jesus gives him an answer, but it's a hard answer for him. He says, Jesus says, well, obey all the commands. And the rich official says, I've done that. But what else? And Jesus says, well, take everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor. But the man couldn't do it. Why? He was of great wealth. And what's he do? He walks away. He's given the answer of how to secure his life, but he can't do it. Why? Because money is a rival God. And this is not some one-off thing that Jesus says, expecting just one person to have undivided loyalty to him. What does he say in Luke 9? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life, in other words, try to secure his own life, he'll lose it. But the one who allows me to do it, they will gain it. Are you understanding these things now? We've been talking a lot about the kingdom of God, and I'm hoping all of these passages start making a whole lot more sense. If we want to follow Jesus, we must be willing to allow him to secure our lives, not to try to do that on our own. But what I have found in our culture is people think that they have this choice, that they can either be one of those radical Christians who actually believe and follow everything they read in Scripture, or they can just pray a prayer, accept Jesus as Savior, show up to church, building on a Sunday morning, or something in between those two things. But that's not what you find in Scripture. Jesus doesn't give us these options. And just like he said to that rich official, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and the man, what's he do? He walks away sad. But Jesus doesn't want divided loyalties. He doesn't want, it doesn't, he can't live in the kingdom with a divided loyalty. It just doesn't work that way. Because what we find in the very next chapter, Luke chapter 19, another rich man, so two rich men, two different responses, a tax collector named Zacchaeus. He wants to see Jesus so bad, he climbs up in a tree, Jesus sees him and says, Zacchaeus, come down from there, I want to come to your house today. And Zacchaeus, elated, he comes down, he brings Jesus into his home, and he has a party for Jesus. Jesus. 
And Jesus doesn't ask anything of Zacchaeus. But what does Zacchaeus do? He says, Jesus, behold, this day I will give half of what I have to the poor and pay back four times what I have taken from people. That is his response to Jesus. Jesus doesn't ask for anything, but out of gratitude, Zacchaeus says, Jesus, I want you to secure my life. I'm done doing that work. So what's your response this morning? Because Jesus' response to Zacchaeus was, today salvation has come to this house. Rich official, how do I gain eternity? Zacchaeus, without asking, does it, and salvation has come to this house. Look, resources are a good thing. God uses those to help our families, to help those in need through us, and to help fulfill the mission. But if we're using those to secure our life, we've got a problem. Jesus' desire is for you to be loyal to him and let him take care of things. So my encouragement would be, follow his plan. <laughs> it's a good plan in the way that we handle our resources. Take care of your family. Help those in needs. Support the mission of the church locally and globally. Set up your financial resources in such a way that God secures your life. Not you. You won't do a very good job of it, no matter how great you are with it. God does a better job, I promise you. He really does. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. And I'm just going to close us in prayer. And ask that God give you wisdom. You know, I know sometimes in a church setting, sometimes people feel like, ah, we shouldn't talk about money. Jesus talks about it a lot. So if I'm honest, I probably don't talk about it enough because it's this rival God in our lives. And if we're going to endure to the end, we need to make sure we've put good things in place in our lives that helps us to do that. And that includes how we manage our financial resources. It just does. God's heart is for all of you. And so he wants you to walk in his ways. God, I just pray right now that you'd go before each and every person in this room. And God, I just pray that if you stirred something in the hearts of a person, they would follow that. Lord, for those that maybe were uncomfortable in thinking about financial resources and how those are used, I pray, Jesus, that you would just strip that away. Lord, that's the work of the enemy who wants to keep them bound and enslaved to this world system. But we, don't, we are not of this world. We are beyond it. And God, we want to live securely in your kingdom. So God, secure our lives. May we stop trying to do that work on our own. You always do a better job. And Lord, and as we trust you to do that work, Lord, as people in this room, as people in our overflow rooms, as, as, as people in living rooms today in our online campus, begin to put their trust, faith, and hope in you for this area of their lives. I pray, Jesus, you would right now remove worry and anxiousness and doubt. Take fear in the name of Jesus. Take it out. We'll remove it, God. There's nothing to do in our lives. God, I just pray that we would trust you in these matters too. And all matters. But God, especially it seems in this one, it's a big one. Seems like if we get this one right, a lot of other things come together for us. So God, I pray that over people here today. Lord, I pray that they would get this right in their lives. Lord, so that they could begin to follow you in ways that maybe they've not seen before, that they could see you show up in ways they've maybe not experienced before, that they could have testimonies like Matt and Michelle and, and Shelly and myself and so many others in this congregation. God, we just pray that testimonies come out of this place of the kind of Jehovah Jireh, our provider that you are. And God, we trust you for that work and we'll believe you for it. In your name we pray, amen.